I'm going to say this. It's been mentioned uh, previously in other services. Uh, in, in years past, I've been allowed to uh, preach a typical pastor appreciation message on Pastor Appreciation Day. Uh, but uh, I was aware several weeks ago uh, that what God had laid on my heart was not a typical pastor appreciation message. Uh, that being said, uh, as I discussed this with Brad, the best way I think that I can show my appreciation and my respect for him is to honor the calling that he and I both have, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that is what I am going to attempt to do this morning uh, but let it be known, I certainly do appreciate Brad and all that he has done for this church and continues to do. Uh, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and I think they're going to put it up on the, the wall behind me. Before I do read this, though, I want to make a statement to, to clarify. This is not a parable. Uh, and I want to make that statement because as I was reading this well, past month, technically... Uh, in, in preparing for this lesson and for this uh, uh, message, I noticed that in various different editions of Bibles and also within various commentaries and, of course, uh, if you look online, it seemed about over half of the time what we're going to read about was uh, called the parable of the rich young ruler. Uh, but this is not a parable. Parables are fictional in a sense, uh, they may have some truth weaved within them, but for the most part, there are lessons being taught through, uh, for us through Jesus uh, by metaphor and simile. Uh, they're not actual people that are at stake, and these uh, decisions that they make in those are not eternal ones. They're there to teach us uh, by example. This, however, what we're going to read about is an actual historic event between a man whose soul was in the balance and his encounter he had with a man named Jesus. And I think it's important that we understand that right off the bat this morning. Uh, now, there is a certain amount of, of condemnation toward the rich as a result of, the, of this, uh, this lesson, and I understand that. And, and there is certainly an, an aspect of warning to his testimony. Uh, the fact that Jesus, immediately after this uh, event, later on, and we read this in Luke 18, 24, he says, And Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful and said, How hardly shall that a rich have rich enter into the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, so certainly the fact that this man was a rich man that we're reading about uh, there is a, a warning to the rich in that. Uh, but I'll talk more about that here in a second. Uh, what I do want to focus on this morning is the fact that, well, let me begin by reading it. It is in Mark chapter, 17, chapter 10, verse 17. Uh, and I'm going to read through verse 22. He says, And when he was gone forth into the way, he who, when Christ, had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled, to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. 
Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor that thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Y'all may be seated, please. Now, it is at this point, and perhaps it's just me, but it's at this point that often uh, we immediately begin to criticize the rich. And let's all dogpile on the rich, man. Dogpile on the rich, man. Uh, we want to poke fun at that. And while his wealth certainly had a factor in, in a deciding factor in what he ultimately chose that day, uh, there is so much more to what this account in which we read uh, beyond just his physical wealth. Uh, there are three main points I hope to communicate this morning. First, to the Christian who is here this morning, which I hope is all of us, who is confident and sure of their salvation. And again, I hope I am speaking to each and every one here this morning when I say this. We may not want to admit it or even believe that it's true or possible. However, there is a real danger that our preconceived opinions, our judgments, our prejudices about someone may affect our desire and our passion when we witness and share the gospel. Uh, and I hope that we can move past as we read this lesson today, that we can move past our prejudice about this young man who happened to be rich, if we should have any, and see that this man who we're going to be reading about this morning is just that, a man whose soul was in danger and not focus on his age, not focus on his wealth, or the position of his authority. Secondly, I'd like to uh, hope that we communicate this morning to the believer who might be here and is struggling in some way. Struggling to uh, take up that cross on a daily basis and follow Christ. It's my hope that today's message may in fact embolden you to let go of your grip on whatever you're holding on to in this world and embrace Christ. It is time, past time, for you to surrender yes. everything yes. to God. That which you have tried to tuck away in your life and hide out of sight. For years you may have lied to yourself and lied to others and tried to hide what you're really struggling with behind walls of righteous living. Know this, that nothing is hidden from God's eye, just as God knew the condition of this young man's heart. He knows your heart today and is calling you this morning. Stop seeking the wealth and all the world's joy and everything that the world can offer you, all those pleasures, and seek after, to quote Jesus, treasure in heaven. Come this day, take up that cross and follow him. And thirdly this morning here, I like to communicate to the lost. 
I don't know your heart. Uh, I, I don't know. I certainly look out amongst this crowd, and of course, I don't know who might be watching on the internet. But I am convinced somebody, as God has laid this message on my heart, needs to hear this. To those who are here who, or are listening on the internet who do not know Christ as their Savior, you may struggle this morning to relate to this man. You don't feel young. I know sometimes I don't feel young. I know I look, look it. But you might not feel young, and you certainly may not feel rich. Nevertheless, you this morning are just like this man in many, many ways. You see, he knew there was something missing in his life. He knew there was something more that he needed. He felt that there was a void somewhere inside him, and he had a very important question, a great question. In fact, I preached this once before. It's, it most possibly is the greatest question anyone could ever ask. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? There was a prison guard that once asked a very similar question. What must I do to be saved? The man that we're reading about today had an encounter with Jesus. He came face to face with the answer, the answer to his question. And my challenge to you this morning, if you can relate to this Young rich ruler, not as a young man, not as a rich man, or even a man of authority. But if you can relate to him as someone who is lost, who has a void in their life, and you're struggling this morning because you realize there's more to life that you haven't seized, don't make the same mistake he made and leave here today full of sorrow and regret. Because I want you to consider this, that unless this man had another opportunity. Another opportunity that he is not promised. Unless this man was given another opportunity to accept Christ, unless this man made another, had another opportunity and changed his mind, this young, rich ruler has been burning in the pits of hell for over 2,000 years. He was burning yesterday, he was in torment today, and he'll continue to be in torment tomorrow. All because he couldn't let go of what this world had to offer. So our first hurdle this morning is I want to break down that wall that we as American Christians have when we think about the rich. I mean, we're quick today to remember the Donald Trumps of the world and the Bill Gates of the world, to think about those wealthiest 1% of the world. And there are so many in our nation that want to blame everything on the world problem on that wealthiest 1%. But the truth is, as I see it, there are many of those today who profess themselves to be Christian, who profess themselves to be part of the church that are spoiled, and they fail to appreciate just how blessed and just how rich we are. We are all very rich this morning. If you say, I can't relate to that young man because he was rich and I ain't got nothing like him. Let me share something with you today. In comparison to the rest of the world, if you're here this morning sitting in this church and you do not have the fear of our government busting through that door and dragging you off to prison because you had the audacity to come to worship God, then you are rich. 
If you, after church service is Odeville, get up and walk out that door with shoes on your feet, you, by the standard of the world, are rich. If you leave here today and you go home and you go to a house not built with cardboard and newspaper, you are rich this morning. So perhaps now, instead of thinking of those Trumps, those Bill Gates, that wealthy 1%, when we think of this rich young man, maybe we can relate to him a little bit better moving forward. Let's all not dogpile on the rich man and criticize him and immediately judge him because he might have a little bit more than we do. Consider the fact that you have so much more than everyone else. To begin with, I want us to look at eight things that we know about him beyond just that he's rich. We know that he's young. We know that he's rich. We know that he's a ruler. And we know from the scriptures that we read that he lived for the most part what would be considered a morally acceptable life. We know that he was honest in his search. And I'll discuss these in greater detail in a minute. He knew that there was something missing in his life. And we know that out of desperation, he finally found the one who was, not just had, but who was the answer. And finally and sadly, we know that while he was in that valley of decision, he made the wrong choice. First, let's discuss his age. How old was he? We don't know. Don't know. That is a detail that uh, isn't included, but it is a detail. The fact that he was a young man is in there. Now, the fact that he was a young man, does that disqualify him in some way from the kingdom of God? The fact that he is a young man, does that in some way uh, prevent him from accepting Christ as his Savior? Absolutely not. In fact, if we want to use some other uh, verses as an example to justify this, look, in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah says in verse 6, Then said I, all Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go out to all that I shall send thee, and whosoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Age did not disqualify Jeremiah for being literally a mouthpiece for God. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, again, the discussion me and Raymond had a couple weeks ago, our, our idea about what it actually is a, a young man or, and what was considered youth and what wasn't uh, it might be a little skewed, but nevertheless, from the perception of those around him, many thought Timothy as a youth. In fact, verse 12 of chapter 4, Timothy, Paul tells him, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Age didn't disqualify Jeremiah. Age didn't disqualify Timothy. And age certainly should not be a barrier in us from sharing the gospel. Matthew chapter 19, as the little children were being brought to Christ, he said, look, verse 13, it says, Then 
where they are brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said to them, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now this young man that we're talking about today, by his own admittance, wasn't a child anymore. He said, from my youth up. He's beyond that, that hypothetical, that, that age of accountability that we talk about sometimes. He's beyond that. Uh, but consider this. Then why is it important that we think of him as a young man? What if we were told that he was an old man? What if we were told that he was on his deathbed, grasping literally to the last moments of life? How would we perceive and how would we relate to him? We would might consider his story here today as one of those deathbed conversions, deathbed confessions. And while those are certainly can be real, I mean, you think about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. They can certainly be real. But without a lifetime and a life of evidence, of, of testimony, there's certainly uh, a, 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 some doubt that enters in our heart when we think about that loved one who has made that deathbed confession because we don't have that fruit to remind us to see if it was genuine or not. But by seeing that this man is a young man and in the prime of his life, and in fact he was doing pretty well for himself, we ought to be able, regardless of how young or old you feel this morning, ought to be able to relate to him in some way. And shouldn't we, at the very least, give this man a little bit of credit? Because he was asking and searching about and thinking about eternity. Well, the youth today, for the most part, and I'm thankful we have some youth that aren't that, but while the youth today, for the most part, run around making decisions as if they're bulletproof. They act as if there's no consequences for their choices today. This man, a young man in the prime of his life, realized there was something out there tomorrow. There was an eternity to gain or an eternity to lose. And again, that's why I think it's important for us to understand his status as a young man because it humanizes him. It allows us to relate to him maybe a little bit better. And hopefully it softens our heart a little bit because, again, we have a fear, unless, unless there's any one percenters in here, uh, I have a fear that we sometimes want to prejudge or, or have a little bit of prejudice toward those. We read this story and we think, uh-huh. This man had a soul. This man had a hunger. And this man was heartbroken. Jesus loved him. And shouldn't we? Shouldn't our emotional response to this man be one in which we are rooting for him. Please make the right choice. Not one, well, he'll get what he deserves. Shouldn't we root for him as he literally stands at the door to heaven? And shouldn't we mourn 
and ache in our heart as he turns and walks away. Just as it certainly breaks Christ's heart every time, the countless times so many others get right up to the very edge of embracing Christ and they turn and walk in the other direction. Again, we know that he's rich. In fact, the Word of God teaches us that he's, he's very rich. But I'm going to ask a very similar question that I asked about his age. Was his wealth a disqualifier? Did it disqualify him from one hearing the Word of God? Did it disqualify him from accepting the Word of God? Did it disqualify him from entering in the kingdom of heaven? Absolutely not. Now, was his factor, was his wealth a factor in his ultimate decision? Yes, it was. And Jesus, again, as I said, he mentions this afterwards. He talks about the, the folly of the rich man, about how hard it is for the rich man to let go of the things of this world, to embrace that cross. Because so many of us today... We cling to things of this world. But rich, being rich in and of itself is not a sin. Think about all the patriarchs we have in the Word of God. Abraham was not a poor man. King David was not a poor man. His son Solomon, certainly he had a forest that grew inside, was not a poor man. But there is certainly a different perspective that a rich Christian and a poor Christian may have, or a rich man and a rich lost man should have concerning wealth. Wealth, like anything of this world, should not come between you and our Lord. We have a good example of this. In Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 36, we have the account of Barnabas. Uh, it says here, And Joseph, who was by, apostle, by the apostles, was surnamed Barnabas, which is by interpretation the son of Constellation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. And by the way, the study of Barnabas in his life is an excellent Bible study. We might do that on one Wednesday night. Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He didn't, wasn't required to do this. No one said he had to do it. But it showed that in his heart, what, all that land and his wealth meant nothing to him. How can he give to God something that was God's already? And he surrendered it all to God. He surrendered it all and laid it down at the church, at the feet of the apostles. In contrast to this, in the very next verses in chapter 5, we're introduced to Ananias and Sophia, who when they sold the possession, again, they could have sold some of it or they didn't have to sell it. It says in verse 2, they kept back a part of the price. And they did so privately. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? My friends, there are so many today that will come to the very altar and want to, they, they are earnestly and truthfully designed to have a relationship with God. 
But they get up and they walk away, much like this rich man, sad and full of regret, because just like Sophia and, and Ananias here, they hid back a part of themselves. They didn't give it all. They couldn't let go of it. This man also was a ruler. He was a man of authority. And some suspect that he was a ruler of some way in the synagogue itself. And we don't know exactly what is a ruler of, but consider this again to help us to appreciate where this man was at and help us to understand the true nature of his desire. In case you were wondering that maybe this man was playing, like many of the others, countless uh, church, the, the countless Pharisees and Sadducees that came along trying to trick Jesus, I want you to, to compare him to another ruler of the synagogue. In John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man, a Pharisee, named by Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. This young man, this young rich man, this young rich ruler didn't come by night. Nicodemus hid his search. He didn't want to lose the authority he had already gained. He didn't want to get judged by those around him. He wanted to come to Christ in secret. This young man was so desperate, he didn't care who saw him. He didn't care what other people thought. He let it all out there. And he had a question and he needed to get the answer from Jesus. There are so many who won't come and confess Christ because they don't want to lose the authority they already have. They don't want to lose their status. Or they're worried what somebody might think. This young man didn't care about that. And we know that he lived for the most part a morally acceptable life. He was, in my opinion, I think a a good guy. He said, I, I've kept the law from my youth up. I've, I'm, I'm a good guy. And I believe he was. Jesus didn't immediately call him on it and criticize him like he did like many of the Pharisees and Sadducees and call him a hypocrite. I believe he had done his best to keep the law that he professed. But let me tell you, being a good guy doesn't qualify you. We talked so many times about being a disqualifier. Being a good guy didn't qualify him for getting into the kingdom of heaven. And he was honest in his search. Again, so many came and they streamed to Jesus on a daily basis trying to trip him up. And when they got the answer, they were angry and upset because they weren't able to trip him up or catch him in some kind of a lie or something that they could use against them. When this man got his answer, God's word teaches us that he left upset because he was pricked in that heart. And he realized that that which he came, he wanted to fill that hole. He realized he was leaving with that same void in his life. He was honest in his search. He clearly was broken hearted. He wanted eternal life. My friends, the word of God says there, look. He came running to Jesus. He ran to Jesus. And he fell at his feet and kneeled. He humbled himself. That is not a picture of somebody who's trying to 
I don't know, get ahead of the world. Somebody is just trying to go through the motions. Someone is trying to tri uh, trip up Jesus in some way. This is a man out of desperation. Was wanting something new. There was something he needed in his life. And my friends, this is where the rubber kind of meets the road. Because out of desperation, you know what? Did that... Here's the sad truth. In Joel chapter 3, verse 13, you've heard me say a couple of times, being in the valley of decision. This is where it comes from. In Joel chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This man was in that valley. This man was heartbroken, and he knew there was a need in his life. A need that couldn't be filled by keeping the law. A need that couldn't be filled by his riches. A need that couldn't be filled by his authority. I asked a couple questions about what was a disqualifier. He wasn't disqualified because of his age. He wasn't disqualified because of his wealth or even the status of a ruler. What disqualified him was the condition of his heart. It's the condition of his heart. I asked, I said when we started this morning that I had three main points I wanted to communicate. If you're here this morning and you are saved and you know you're saved, and I praise God, I hope everyone here can say that. I hope that this message in some way has challenged you this morning not to, not to prejudge who you share the gospel with and who you may not share the gospel with. Don't go in there and go, I'm just going to cast my pearls amongst the swine. There ain't no need to doing that. Don't see somebody as a rich man or a young man or whatever. See them as a soul in danger that needs the word of God. Don't judge them. Be challenged even. Challenge you this morning to share the word of God. Share the good news. Share the testimony with everyone regardless of their status position or life or how much they have in the bank account. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, maybe you have come up to this altar every time the doors have been opened and you get up and you walk away still feeling empty. Perhaps it's because you still haven't let go of this world. Perhaps there's something in your life you just haven't surrendered yet. Let today be the day you surrender that. And maybe you're lost today. Maybe you don't know the Lord as your Savior. Man. 
Don't make excuses. I'm too young. I got a lot of life ahead of me. I'm too, I'm too rich. Man, I don't want to give up all this. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I got too much authority. What will people think of me if all of a sudden I started going to church? Don't make excuses for yourself. If you know this morning there is something missing in your life, if you know this morning that there, if you, let me introduce you to the answer to that question in your heart. It's Jesus Christ. And he is challenging you this morning. Let go of all that this world has got to offer you. And pick up his cross and follow him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that you would bless us all here this morning. I pray, Lord, that your word will touch our hearts and our lives. And I ask, dear Lord, if there be any here today, Lord, that is in that valley of the decision, that they will make the right choice. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would continue, Lord, to minister in our lives. I ask, Lord, that you continue to bless and minister through Brad and Marcy and his entire family. And, Father, Lord, we're so appreciative of him, and, and we are so appreciate that you have uh, let him be here for so long. And I just pray, Lord, that you continue to strengthen him and, and, and guide him and help him, Lord, to be the pastor, Lord, that you have called him to be. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this church, and thank you so much for your presence. All these things we ask in your name. Amen.